After trying to slug the bear, scream, hit, struggle, you know, I reached that desperation point where it was then, oh, prayer. This is this might be your last prayer. It better be good. <laughs> this is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking in good faith today with Michael Dunn, Managing Director of BYU Broadcasting here at Brigham Young University since 2017. Michael, thanks for coming in today. It is such an honor to be on your show, Steve. I love this show. Thank you. But I had to work a little to persuade you to to do this because I know you have shared the amazing experience of your survival of a grizzly bear attack and some of the faith-connected elements of that. But you were very hesitant, actually, since you are a director of saying, well, I don't want people to think I said, do a show on me. Well, because we're colleagues and friends, I was uh, particularly persuaded to be very cautious about that. But my arm is almost back in socket from your, your twisting. So happy to be here. Michael founded and operated Dunn Communications, an advertising agency in Salt Lake City for 16 years. He's won gold and silver medals from the New York Film Festival, Clio Awards, and I guess I could go on and on. I'm going to put this all on the page so people can go through and read. But you did spend eight years as a senior writer and producer for Bonneville Communications, where you worked on the Homefront campaign, where lots of folks will remember your great work there. That was really a wonderful experience where basically our task was to tell stories that inspired people to be kinder, to be more gentle, to be more, uh, as as we're fond of saying, second commandment kind of uh, mm. people, you know, doing good for neighbors and things. And, and just to have the luxury of working on that for those many years was, was really a treat. You've been the general manager of KUED Channel 7, a PBS affiliate in Salt Lake City. And at the time you were tapped to come direct BYU Broadcasting, you were actually with your wife, Linda, serving and leading the Johannesburg Mission of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in South Africa. You make me tired, actually, hearing about <laughs> And I think people who listen will be even more tired when they hear how many. Do you have any idea how many kilometers you've run in your life? It's been a lot. I will tell you, and, and now I mostly do cycling. I just, because I track it, I just, in 2020, I just finished up the year just short of 7,000 miles of cycling. So 6,549. So I love to be on the road. Because you're serious about this, I knew you would know the amount. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little strange, but uh, we, we do tend to track those things, yeah. I want to delve back for our purposes here on In Good Faith to your early upbringing and your very first memories of hearing what or who God was. What are those memories? Well, it's interesting, Steve. You know, I was raised by a single mom who was uh, very faithful, very devout in the Episcopal Church. So I remember going to church from my very earliest years. And I remember having a very, very strong and very reassuring sense of God as a real person and of Jesus Christ as a real person. And I would say the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit as well, although I didn't name it as a, as a young child, but I remember being able to visualize them and very naturally turning to prayer and other things that were very much, I would just say, part of my DNA. I just felt very comfortable turning to them for answers, for comfort, for solace. And uh, that's been very, very much uh, an integral part of my faith story. For someone so young, how did you experience that contact with God? 
you know, I think part of it is, as, as I say, being raised in a single parent household, my parents were divorced. I think there was a lot of uncertainty. Uh, remember very vividly experiencing kind of the trauma of that. It was unsettling mm. to me, wondering about your future and what will you do and, and will you be okay? I'm a child of the 70s. I grew up with the Vietnam War going on around me, and I remember seeing news headlines and Walter Cronkite reciting the body count from that day and wondering if I would go to war. Would I be a casualty? What about my cousins, uh, my brothers and sisters? It was just an unsettling time. And and rather than panic, I just have always had a strong reliance on, on prayer, as I say, and on turning to God. Mm. As you went through your teenage years, is that something that stayed with you? Did you deepen that or abandon that? It did. I think I continued. As I say, it was it was very, very much a part of me. As I came through my high school years, I had an interesting transition. I was raised in Salt Lake City. So I was raised right in the epicenter of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and no had no idea about this faith tradition, which predominates the inner mountain area. And I begged my mother to see if I could possibly attend public school as I came into my sophomore year, my 10th grade year, mostly because of two things. There weren't enough eligible girls to date at the very small private (laughs) school that I was at, and also sports. I love sports, and I didn't have those opportunities. So I came out in pursuit of those two things, and in the midst of that, I found amongst my friends these amazing people who were all members of this church. And among the things I remember so vividly about that experience is how welcoming they were of me, coming into their homes and feeling something very palpable, very different as I came into the homes of my Latter-day Saint friends. And I'm amazed as I look back because, as I mentioned, a child of the 70s, I had long hair. I was probably in the eyes of their parents, this no good hippie kid, what are you doing playing with my friends? And yet I was met with love and with affection and embracing and and just could not be more welcomed. Well, that caused me to do a couple of things. First of all, it made me take pity on these poor folks who, for otherwise being so nice, were obviously so well misinformed within terms of their faith and what they believed. And it led me, long story short, to an investigation of that faith tradition and their church, mostly with all the questions which I had, wanting to prove them wrong and set them on a right course, which led me to go back to the Episcopal Bishop of the state of Utah with questions that I got from them and back and forth. And long story short, my investigation led me to joining the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as an 18-year-old. And a year later, leaving on a proselyting mission for that same church, which uh, was a life-changing experience for me to be out in the world. I was called to serve in the Hawaiian Islands and there met the amazing peoples of Polynesia and was just so touched by their obviously natural affinity with all things spiritual and particularly with the church and just had a great, really reinforcing experience. And That's been very much a part of my belief system ever since. I'm really glad to talk about some of these early experiences because it sounds like having a sense of the spiritual and actually seeking out information. Lots of kids that age think, oh, deal with that later, or why would I ever deal with it? But you were about that. And I'm wondering if that prepared you to be able to sense and to hear certain promptings in your life, which is one way of talking about an influence of God 
working in our lives, something that we sense. Yeah, it, it is. And I think what surprises a lot of people about my faith tradition in particular is you would think it would be very predictable and jump in line and here's the doctrine and here's what we believe. Well, actually, it's just the opposite. And with the invitation of James, if you lack wisdom, ask God and probe and search and ponder. I really believe that's been a part of of everything that I've done. I think it's also partially owing to the fact that I come from a long line of uh, lawyers and judges in my family. So as my wife will tell you, I sometimes have a very prosecutorial nature wanting to prove and, and, and disprove things. But I think it's also a very healthy thing to be asking questions, particularly of the Spirit. And as a result, I feel like I've been really blessed with a particular acuity to the Spirit, to be able to hear and understand things of God and things that He wants me to know, because I believe that He really has a course and a plan for each and every one of us. What we need more than anything are just the ears to be able to hear that. And when we hear it, it certainly is much better in our lives. So some 36 years ago, August 14th, 1994, you got up early and found yourself not exactly following some of those nudges. (laughs) Will you continue the story? Yeah. Well, 36 years ago, as as you mentioned, uh, that was very much the case. It was a beautiful August morning in Grand Teton National Park. I was uh, training and getting ready to go run a marathon several months later. Went out on a beautiful run on a backcountry trail in Grand Teton National Park. And lo and behold, ran into a grizzly bear, not more than a couple of miles down the trail, and experienced a event that would forever change the course of my life, mostly, Steve, because of the things I learned as a result of that experience. And yeah, you say, yeah, that's going to be a, a life-altering, if not life-ending <laughs> experience, right, with a, with a grizzly bear. But Again, through the Spirit, it was interesting, just all of the amazing things I gleaned as a result of that experience. So as I have read, there were a couple of things that you might call uh, directions of the Spirit that morning. You were a little uneasy. Yeah. Yeah, I was. And I maybe need to back up just a little bit and put this in its right framework. You know, Jesus, when he was teaching the disciples about the influence of the Spirit, said something very, very powerful in the New Testament. He said that one of the things that this Spirit is going to do is going to tell you things you need to know even before you need to know them. Hmm. Much like, if you think about it, getting a trailer, a preview of what's going to happen in your life. And I believe in that. I literally believe that God warns and helps us and prepares us. I think we miss a lot of those warnings along the way. But as I reflected back on this, I thought, if you're going to go through something as traumatic as a, as a grizzly bear attack, wouldn't there be huge sky-written messages in the clouds, turn back, don't go, I mean, things like that. And it was really interesting. I could not think about a, a single thing that had been an intimation of this, a warning, anything in the months, the weeks, and the days leading up to this until I thought about something very significant that happened to me the very day before this bear attack. Mm. And I did not know its significance until after it had happened, so I could think back about its impart at the particular time. But here's all that happened. So the day before, August 13th, 1994, guess what? This will show you my very predictable life. I was out on a run, and I was running. (laughs) 
And the only difference on this day is that as I reached this meadow in a very, very beautiful part of Grand Teton National Park, it's called Hermitage Point for those that have been there. As I reached the midway point of my run, I turned around. And as I turned, the most heavenly choreographed event that I could have ever imagined occurred for me. And what it was is I turned around and faced the east. It was the sun rising just over the top of the horizon there. But the reason that it was so significant is it had rained really furiously the night before. And so the clouds were sort of hanging and looming up there on the horizon. And as the sun hit those still moisture-laden clouds, it just splayed light out all over the sky. It was like a a painter's palette, uh, a wash in in cobalt blues and pinks and purples and magentas. And the sky just electronically lit up. And then, of course, there was the Teton Range and the Grand Teton looming out there, Jackson Lake. And it was so beautiful, Steve, that I did one of the most unusual things I've ever done in the midst of a run, which is I just stopped and I took this in and I found myself very naturally and very normally dropping to my knees. I literally, it drove me to my knees. You've heard that expression before. And I remember that because, as I said, it had rained the night before. And so I'm kneeling in this very wet trail, prairie grass, the the mud and everything. And I find myself just very naturally and normally opening my mouth, closing my eyes and just saying, God, thank you so much for this remarkable natural event. It is the reminder of why I first developed my faith in you. I thank you for this exquisite beauty, for this land, for this environment, and all that it is. And it really was just that, Steve. It was very brief. It was a prayer, however, unlike ways that I don't normally pray. When I pray, I pray to myself. I don't say the words out loud when I'm in private. But here I was outside speaking these words out loud. And I think, uh, as I'd recommend to anyone, if you're feeling like your prayers aren't significant these days or you're, you're not feeling a connection, go somewhere like I was. Go somewhere in the natural world. Go somewhere high and holy and, and just sacred. As Jesus says, make it your closet if that's the only mm-hmm. place you can get away to. I think when you do that and speak the words out loud, you find out that, first of all, why prophets throughout the ages, whenever they needed their most intimate communication with God— that's exactly where they've gone because you you sort of need that space and and to hear your your words spoken out loud. Well, as I say, it was a prayer of gratitude. It was um, very short. That sunrise changed just as dramatically. I I brushed my knees off and didn't think another thing about it. Well, fast forward a day later, I'm in the the midst of a bear attack. My heart is not bursting with joy. It's about to be burst by a bear, if you want to know the, the, the real truth. And yet, in the midst of that, I find myself doing something which people since then have said, wow, that is really amazing. I can't believe you did that. And I sort of push back and say, no, anyone would do that. Anyone, whether a bear on their back or in a burning building or a battlefield in Afghanistan, pick your crisis. We all instinctively, no matter what I believe our faith tradition is. We know there is a God in heaven, and I think instinctually we turn to him and say, help. And that's what I did. Well, the interesting thing is I said a prayer in that moment, in that moment of crisis, and how did I say it? Well, I spoke the words out loud. And as I thought about that later, I realized that I believe that 
God was preparing me the day before, schooling me, reminding me about the power and the efficacy of personal prayer. Because here I am a day later, as I say, in a completely different situation, and yet there I am in the same mode, the same manner, almost rehearsing it, you know, a day in advance. So does God help us and warn us and prepare us? I, Can I ask what you prayed? Well, it, it was interesting. It was very short. I just said, God. Actually, I didn't say God. I said Heavenly Father, which is more a term I use in, in addressing God. But I said, there's a bear on my back. I'm, gonna, I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die, and I need your help, and I need it now. I mean, it was very specific. You talk about laying out a plan of, of, <laughs> of, of what's being asked there. And it was interesting, see, because not 15 seconds later or 30 seconds later, but immediately, like, like uh, uh, immediately, an impression came to me, and just to clarify, not a voice or a vision, just an impression, two words, very strong impression. It was play dead. You need to play dead. And in all honesty, here I am, I'm, I'm on the zenith of my you know, spiritual journey. I kind of looked back heavenward and I was like, now, was that play dead or you are dead? You know, you can be straight with me here, right? And it was most assuredly play dead, which again, Steve, in those two words, that's a summary of what you do. That's the, the rule in, in bear country. You don't fight and wrestle and struggle and scream everything I was doing wrong. You play dead. That's your best chance of survival with the grizzly bear. And as those two words hit me, I just thought, oh, yeah. And I immediately relaxed, which was really, really difficult because you, I could almost feel the adrenaline. The only way I can describe this, it's like waves of acid rushing up and down your body. You have so much adrenaline going. Your respirations are off the charts. And yet I just found myself focusing on play dead, play dead, play dead. And it was almost like if you were to graph my ability to play dead versus the bear's aggressiveness, they were just on an inverse mm. sort of parallel. The more I relaxed, the more he backed off, backed off, until I could feel myself totally, I, I convinced myself I was dead. The bear totally backed off and got off me, and that's when the bear left, which was the good news. The attack had ceased. The bad news was I was nearly six miles into the backcountry, nearly an hour from the nearest park road, with life-threatening injuries. And bleeding everywhere, I imagine. Bleeding everywhere. It was, uh, it was really bad. Later, when uh, the, the first attending physicians got to me, their description was, you know, it looked like I had crashed on a motorcycle at speeds in excess of 100 miles an hour with no protective gear on them. They, they didn't even really could tell where the bleeding started and where it stopped. So it was a very severe attack. But it seems like you also had some sort of presence of mind. You made tourniquets, if I if I read correctly. I did. Ripped I did. up your shirt. Yeah. The way I can describe it is this, is I have, I love my life. I love my family. I, I love what I do. I wanted to survive. This was not, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a goner. And it's almost like a computer screen booted up in front of me. And it was, here's time to expiration and here's what you need to do. And in all honesty, because I've spent so much time in the mountains climbing and mountaineering and other things, I, I have a lot of wilderness first aid background, but I knew you could see what was bleeding really badly. So I did. I just ripped up what wasn't ripped up of my shirt and other clothing, made tourniquets. The wound on my leg, which was the most severe, I couldn't even properly tourniquet. I literally had to take clumps of shirt and just stuff it in there in, in the hopes mm. that it would it would mitigate some of the bleeding. So... Sorry to be so graphic. I hope no one listening is, is enjoying uh, a meal right now, but it was bad. You know, some things happen 
to us in an instant, an accident. You have a split second, and yet time seems to stop. What I read was that you felt this had had a minute and a half, two minutes of the actual attack, but that is so long for something bad to be happening. I'm just amazed at what could have been and the alarm going through your mind, but that you had presence of mind to call out and then to know what to do. Yeah, your description is accurate. Time went into this warp. Everything slowed down. And those couple of minutes felt like a couple of months. It really did. And part of that was because of the surgical attack of the bear. I mean, it was such a mismatch. I can't even tell you. You feel like as a normal adult, you would be, you know, be able to defend yourself a little bit. This was like, I felt like a rag doll just at, at the mercy of this beast that was just so strong and so capable, you know, understanding in terms of, of this attack. And that's why it, it felt so helpless. And that's why, as I say, I just realized where I got to the point after trying to slug the bear, scream, hit, struggle, you know, I reached that desperation point where it was then, oh, prayer. This might be your last prayer. It better be good. <laughs> Michael, I'm, first of all, I'm really glad you're still with us. As you look back, I'd like you, if you would, to mention a particular little thing, a nudge or a prompting that went through your head before you left. Yeah. Well, as I got ready that morning, it was really interesting. And, and again, we talk about these impressions, these promptings that come to us. I left very early that morning. I was up before dawn. And I remember as I tiptoed out of our little mountain cabin, trying not to wake up my wife and children. First of all, we talk about spiritual promptings. I felt unsettled the entire morning. Listeners will relate to this. You probably have days where you're just like, something is not right and you can't put your finger on it. Well, that was the background from it. But as I left that day, right as I'm leaving, there's a little bathroom vanity in our cabin. I just instinctively reached out for these sunglasses, these dark glasses that were there. And I took them with me. Because it was dark, I walked out of the cabin with me thinking, do I really want to take these with me? Because you, as, a, as an ultra runner in the backcountry, you want to go as light as you can. And I just thought, oh, I'm not going to take them with me. And I set them down. I actually set them on, down on a picnic table and turned to go. And in the moment that I turned to go, I just had this really strong prompting that I should take those glasses with me. And it wasn't like I turned around and there were electric lights and a little mechanical monkey with cymbals <laughs> clanging, you know, take the glasses, you know. But it was a very certain feeling. And a lot of times when we respond to promptings like that, I think we're very dismissive of that. We tend to make those kind of feelings very pedestrian in our society. We use the word coincidence often, like, oh, well, I had this prompting and I did this and this happened. Wasn't that an amazing coincidence? Well, one of the really great theologians and leaders in our church who's passed on many years ago, Elder Neil Maxwell, taught a very profound thing. He said that there are no such things as coincidences in our lives. And that's really powerful if you think about it. There are no such things as coincidence. What Elder Maxwell was saying is that God is in the details of all of our lives, or he can be, or he wants to be. Now, that doesn't mean that we're predestined to do everything and we're sort of on this automated track that no matter what we do. But I believe, back to my original premise, that God speaks to us much more than we would ever realize in our daily walk. I didn't know if this was coincidental or not, but I knew enough that I would take the glasses, and I did. And I didn't think a thing about them until 
Actually, it was about 10 days after the attack when the lead ranger, Dirk Chalifant of the... And by the way, we're fast forwarding past pulling yourself together, going quite a ways, finding some (laughs) photographers, and them getting help and a helicopter ride. Right, right. Yeah, (laughs) just a a whole bunch of of pieces to that. So 10 days later in, in the hospital with a visit from Dirk Chalifant, the lead ranger from the... Uh, National Park Service, who came in and said, hey, this is going to be really interesting to you. I've got great news for you. And I said, what? What's the, what's the great news? And Dirk said to me, which I still chuckle about, we're still good friends to this day, but Dirk said, well, the good news I have for you is we found your glasses, You know, which I just thought, great. I've nearly had my, my head removed by a bear, but you found my glasses. And Dirk, who is not a member of my faith, knew the spiritual underpinnings of this. And and even as he couldn't show me the glasses because they were still a part of the uh, federal government's evidence in this case, but he described them to me. And as he described them to me, again, I began to understand how grateful I was for responding to that prompting. Because these glasses, Steve, if you look at them, they're, it's a carbon fiber glass, very, very high tech in its day. But right in the center of these glasses is what looks like a bullet hole. But as you look at the glasses closer, you can see that it's not a hole. In fact, this carbon fiber lens has been stretched to the nth degree, but somehow didn't break. And what you're looking at, you figure out very quickly, is a grizzly bear claw that is dead center, couldn't have been a better bullseye, that hit me square on in the eye. Fortunately, not the eye, but in the sunglasses in the initial moments of that attack. And because on that particular morning, I'd really listened to the spirit, not been dismissive of a prompting, well, today I have an eye and a life and a perspective I would have in no other way, because had I not done that, it's not just loss of eyesight. It's a, it's a death, and it's a very protracted death because of the, the velocity of that bear claw. Hmm. So it's the miracle of the sunglasses, and um, as I say, forever grateful for responding to that. And did you ever get them back? I did. I did. They sit on my uh, desk in my home office today in a Lucite case. You know, when I'm having a bad day once in a while now, I <laughs> I look at those and go, well, you know, maybe, maybe things aren't so bad after it all. It could be worse. <laughs> One of the things that I definitely took away from this is that in my world today, there is no such thing as a bad day. Every day is precious. I literally get up and prayer is a very easy thing for me. Thank you, God, for another day of life even with its tough challenges and issues and things that I wish were different, on balance, it's really amazing. The other thing I would say is this, is that in our circumstance, no matter how bad it is, I now have the perspective that there's always somebody that, yeah, you know what, believe it or not, has a tougher lot, a tougher go than you do. This was brought home to me just with a real quick story that that really framed it for me. You know, when this happened, because most people don't get to come back and tell their side of a bear encounter, because usually it's the bear who wins and usually decisively, it was a big event. It was blasted all over the, the media. I mean, reporters covered it extensively. And I just was showered with attention. I mean, gifts and in that day and age, 36 years ago, faxes, you know, I would get faxes and cards and letters from all over the world. I mean, literally all over the world. And such an outpouring of love and concern from friends and neighbors and those that worship with us at our, at our local congregation. It was, it was amazing. I was, I was just stunned by it. And yet on 
one day when I finally had a chance to leave my room, I happened to notice that the other patient in the critical care unit across the hall from me was a young girl, 19 years of age, who had been climbing in the Grand Tetons, had been on uh, final rappel, which I've done, so I know how scary it is. It's about a 120-foot rappel. Her rope broke about 60 feet from the ground. She fell and just shattered her lower limbs. Legs were just pancaked, you know, because of the impact. And here was a 19-year-old about to start her, uh, her freshman year of college, looking at maybe a year, maybe two years of rehabilitation, of serious care with long-term effects and just endless rehabilitation. And you know what? It was like all the TV trucks were lined up outside my room. All the cards and letters were coming. There, there were some flowers and a card or two there. But you know what? I just thought I would not trade my situation with yours for anything. And my heart, my empathy for her was just overwhelming. I ended up sending her much of the, the stuffed bears and cards and, and everything that I got, you know, just because I felt so bad for her. But it really just taught me this lesson that, yeah, you may think this is horrible and you've got a long road to recovery ahead of you, but let's, let's look at the glass half full and realize what you're able to do and the blessings that you have because there always is someone dealing with a tougher situation. And that gave me great perspective. Even though the bear was the big marquee event that people were like, oh, this would be the most horrible thing I could ever imagine you could go through. Well, you know what? People go through a lot tougher things, disease and illness and divorce and death. And it just was a perspective builder for me in in a lot of ways. Michael, that's a really harrowing experience, spiritual elements and physical survival. But for most of us, we don't have quite such dramatic experiences. But I would just like to ask, if you'll just kind of cast your mind back on your life, if there have been other times where little uh, spiritual communications or promptings have maybe been just as important in a spiritual kind of a way Mm -hmm. for you, other family members, or, or which course to take, whatever it might be. I think there have been, Steve, and while this would definitely take the cake in terms of the most dramatic, you know, of of those moments, I think what I try to do and the lesson from that to me has been this, is that every day of life is a precious gift from God. And every day there are people in need, people who we need to bless just in in our daily walk. If anything, it's sort of help me understand that the big event like this is a reminder that it's those small daily promptings that we need to heed and and take care of. And I can't tell you how many times, as I'm sure this is the case for you and many of our listeners, it's just that small thing. I'm going to I'm going to check in with that widow who lives up the street because I'm just sort of feeling something's amiss there. Oh, you no one's brought you groceries because your son's out of town. Let me do that. You know, let me mm. let me let me take care of that. Things like that that I think have been significant. I with my wife as you mentioned living in South Africa, we had I would say very truthfully almost daily occurrences of take this road or talk to this person or do this little thing always resulted in something significant happening. And I say significant, not life-changing or or life-altering, but making a difference, making a difference. I think God does work through us to answer the prayers and to be a blessing in the lives of others. And I think our charge, my charge, is I just want to be more in tune to that. I want to 
I want to know where and what and how I can be helpful every day and in, in many, many moments. Michael Dunn is the Managing Director of BYU Broadcasting. Michael, thank you for speaking with me today in good faith. It's been my pleasure, Steve. Thank you. That's our time for today, and thank you to Michael Dunn for generously sharing his stories and his faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Our Twitter feed is at InGoodFaithBYU. And if you enjoy the show, be sure and spread the word. Leave a comment or a review where you get your podcasts. And in fact, we'd love to know where you listen from. Email us at InGoodFaith at BYU.edu. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon right here in Good Faith.